Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Today I'm honored to have my special guest and friend, Pat Loader, Executive Director of the Compassionate Friends, a self-help organization composed of families who have lost children. Good morning, Pat, and welcome to the Grieving the Healing Heart. Good morning. Uh, Thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to share this time with you. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the show. I know you're a very busy lady, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Pat, I, I know it's been a long journey for you, as it has been for many of us. Our son, Scott, died in an automobile accident almost 22 years ago. And I know you lost two dear children, Stephanie and Stefan, in an automobile accident. Could you share your story with us? Um, certainly. It was the first day of spring. Uh, it was a glorious spring day in 1991, which is 14 years ago. Stephanie, Stephen, and I were on our way home from visiting my parents who at the time were dealing with the death of my brother, and we wanted to spend some time with them and nurture them through their loss. As I was preparing to make a left-hand turn onto my street, a racing design motorcycle slammed into the side of my car at approximately 115 miles an hour. Wow. We, uh, he hit the side of my car that Steph and Steve were seated, and uh, Stephen, who was five years old at the time, was never able to be resuscitated. Stephanie, who was eight years old at the time, and I were taken to a local hospital where she was stabilized and lifted to Children's Hospital where she she died later that night. Wow. Mm. Um, Stephanie and Stephen were our only two children at the time, and they were two very special kids, as all of our children are, who were filled with beauty and silliness and love all the time. Uh, I so appreciate your courage and generosity for sharing that story with us. You know, no matter how long these, uh, how long it's been, these stories are so fresh in our hearts, and we'll always have a special place for those little ones that have left us. Well, you're listening to Healing the Grieving Heart, and I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and my guest today is Patricia Loader, Executive Director of the Compassionate Friends. If you'd like to join in our show with comments for me or Pat, please call our toll-free number. 1-866-369-3742. Pat, for all those who are grieving out there, I, I wondered, could you tell us what helped you get through those dark days and, and how was it for you? And I know it's um, tough to get back there, but um, I know it's there. And, uh, oh, absolutely. That's a question that we're often asked in our organization I guess at the time that I learned that I needed to deal with things one day at a time, and sometimes it was one minute at a time. Um, When I sat and thought about the future or what it held for me, it was much too much to deal with. Getting out of bed and getting dressed, having shoes that matched on my feet, um, that was an accomplishment for me. Those 45-minute showers. uh, 45-minute showers, absolutely, in which you cry your heart out and try to figure out exactly what's going to happen in your life. But when I learned to deal with just the moment, just that time, I I found that it was much easier for me to go on. When I tried to think of the future, it was it became very, very difficult. 
Mm-hmm. How were those very, very early days? Were there things that happened at the hospital that were disturbing for you? or well, Of course, everything was disturbing, but were there things that, that made it more difficult? Um, I, I, I think that everything's difficult at that time. Um, you're, you're dealing with, you know, in my case I was dealing, um, here was a terrible, terrible auto accident in, in which two small children were killed. And the media was very interested. Um, Stephanie was in school. Stephen had not started school yet. There was um, all of the the trauma of the children, and I worried so much about her classmates and and everything that was going on around us. It was it was a, a horrendous time. Yeah, I remember uh, the media coming to our home, and uh, my son was on the softball team. I mean, he was catcher on the baseball team and quarterback on the football team, and um, people wanted to come in and record things, you know, for radio shows and put spots on. And it's kind of interesting because, in some ways, you welcome them in because early on you do need to tell your story. But Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But you, sometimes you just don't know what's going on. It's, it's and, so and you're in such a fog at, at the beginning that it's very difficult to even process the fact that your children have died. Mm-hmm. And, and it's such a fog, but yet everybody, they're trying very desperately to hurt, uh, to help you and not hurt you. But, you know, it's a, it's a fine line because um, it is such a tender, tender time in the family's life. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you find the doctors and nurses and and the professional people? Um, we had, I had, uh, I was hospitalized after the accident, and um, I had a nurse who just stayed with me, cared for me, went and even bought a teddy bear just so that I could sit and hold it and cry. Uh-huh. And I just thought it was one of the sweetest, most tender things that any person could do. She didn't have to talk, you see. She was just there for me, and I thought, what a very, very special, special person. That's a wonderful story. I remember a friend of ours just came to our house and sat um, and watched us have our first meal together. Mm -hmm. And that, for some reason, was just kind of an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Didn't say a word, just sat there while we ate. Absolutely, it is an amazing thing it, because people oftentimes feel they're they're uncomfortable with silence, and they think they need to fill the air with words, you know. And really and truly, there are no words. There are no words at a time like that. So just being there, touching you, hugging you, loving you, and 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 caring for you is is so special and so meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I also think running the little errands. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And bringing the food or answering. One person just answered the telephone. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Just stayed around and answered the phone. And it's the small things, maybe putting some gas in your car. You know? Absolutely. My brother and his wife, um, they they were such a wonderful family support system. They made sure we, we were fed. They made help with the funeral arrangements. They did things, you know, try to anticipate what we needed, as you said, answered the telephone, and, and were just there for us all the time. So mm-hmm. it was, it was uh, we were very blessed to have them there. 
One thing that I I found very interesting uh, in, you know, retrospect as the years go on is we developed some new friendships of people that we never would have um, connected with. There's some people who I call them good grievers. They're just really good at helping. Then we had other close friends who we didn't see. Isn't that, isn't that the case? Um, I hear that so much. It certainly happened with my husband Wayne and I. It's it's almost as if our our friends, uh, the whole family of friends that we had, changed at that time because they were very uncomfortable with our grief and our pain and our sadness. However, those people who sometimes were were just mere acquaintances before the the death of Stephanie and Stephen. Um, they stepped up and and came and were very very helpful and became very close. It's like there was a a turning point in which all of our friends kind of made a shift, so mm-hmm. to speak. But then I found that uh, maybe a year later, some of my old friends started being friends again. <laughs> and also, I found years later, um, people who had never been able to talk about it were talking about it again. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Well, don't you think that it's also such a shock to them? Oh, yeah. A wonderful child, or in my case, children that they knew, um, they're suddenly dead. And, and, and I think some people, yeah, I think some people just hold them in their heart yeah. rather than being able to verbalize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many people out there that hurt for you when you lose a child. And, uh, it's just enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people could, you know, be in touch with how much the universe really does care. Mm-hmm. They do. They do. So I wanted to ask you, uh, do you remember the first time you laughed? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do. <laughs> it, 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 it was a sound that was almost foreign to me. Um, I was almost embarrassed because I felt like I was being disrespectful to my children they were dead, and I had no right to feel to laugh or feel happiness again. And so it was almost as if I shouldn't do this. This right. isn't right. And um, but as time goes on, you learn that that's the way you honor your children too. Right. I remember. I think it was about three months after Scott died, and. Um, I opened the New York Times and my husband's picture was in there. I had no idea he was going to be in there. He didn't say anything about it. And I just burst out laughing. It just struck me as so funny. And as you said, it was such a foreign sound. Mm-hmm. But it was like kind of like the tinkling of a bell. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, we are coming out upon a break now. And I wanted uh, people to please stay tuned and hear more from Pat Loader, the executive director of Compassionate Friends and Brief Parent, and from myself, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and we'll be talking more about the losses in your life, and we would love to have you call in. Our number is 1-866-369-3742. And after the break, uh, we'll talk a bit more about some of the things that you can expect if you've lost a child in your life and some of the things that will truly be helpful and uh, hopefully Pat will give us some uh, um, information about the wonderful organization, uh, the Compassionate Friends. And maybe we aren't going to come up and break for a minute, so let me say one more thing. Uh, Pat, could you ask me um, what advice, could you tell me what advice you would have for those who've lost a child? Well, I think the the 
best advice that I could give somebody who has lost a child is just to take one day at a time. That it is so difficult, what you're going through is so difficult that it's time to, it, it's a time in which you need to set and nurture yourself. And sometimes that's very difficult because in our, in a society in which we are so very, very busy every day, it's really a, a time in your life where you need to set back, reflect, make sure that you're taking care of yourself and, and all of the needs that you have and your family has at that particular moment in time. Well, one of the things when you talk about needs for taking care of yourself, one of the things that I found was that there's a real need for sleep. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have had a, a, several questions emailed to me, and I thought maybe uh, we could talk about those for a moment. Uh, one lady, Brenda, asks, how did you get the courage to go on after the death of two children and uh, not have any other children? Well... It was difficult. It was very difficult. We Early on, Wayne and I made the decision that we had so much love to give and that we really, really wanted to have more children. Um, so we made a concerted effort to, you know, we this was a, a very difficult decision for us. But we decided to, to try to have more children and against uh, quite... Uh, stringent med- medical odds, we were able to and have... And how long was that after the children? It was death? about a uh, year and a half after their death. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we knew that um, I was getting up in age, and if I was going to have any more children, that I would have to do so rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we went ahead, and um, and we were able to have two additional children. Uh, Christopher came along first, and and Katie was our second, or actually our fourth child, I should say. Right. Oh, that's always an issue, isn't it, when people ask us, how many children do you have? It, it is. It is. And as far as I'm concerned, I have four children. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that we are often asked um, in our organization also is, how do you answer that question? And I guess I've gotten to the point where... I answer it based on the circumstance. You know, a lot of people really, they don't want to know your life's history, but somehow you feel like you're dishonoring your child who has died if you don't mention them. But sometimes mm-hmm. they are just simply asking for whatever reason. And, you know, there are times in my life I do say too, um, because I think that's what the situation dictates. But most of the time I do say, I have four children. Mm-hmm. If it, if it requires a further explanation, then I give it to them. But um, you know, you kind of have to go with your heart at that point. Right? Yeah. So sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. My um, daughters—I have three daughters—and uh, you know, humor is, especially as time goes on, is something that that you use within your family. <laughs> and uh, my daughters have a little joke. They call it the Scott paper. And they say um, when they were in high school and college, they could always plan on an A if they wrote the Scott paper about their brother. Aww. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, anyway, what was your daughter's name, Christopher? And what is your daughter's name now? Uh, Katie. Katie. Mm-hmm. And how old are they? 
Uh, Christopher is 12, and Katie is 11. Great. I wondered how you um, keep the memory of uh, Stephanie and Stephen alive for them, and uh, since they've never known them, how do you integrate them into the family? Well, you know, they, Stephen and Steve are really integrated into our family every day of our lives. Um, they, uh, we freely talk about, you know, you talked about the Scott paper, but we freely talk about uh, Stephen and Steve stories all the time. And Chris and Katie really do enjoy hearing um, stories about their brother and sister. We have pictures of their brothers and sis- their brother and sister up all over the house. Um, we talk about them, and you know, in relation to what. Um, uh, that uh, Chris and Katie are now going through uh, what might have happened with with Steph and Steve mm-hmm. you know, way back when. So mm-hmm. we do integrate them into our everyday lives. If it is their birthday, Steph and Steve's birthday, we have a birthday celebration for them because we, you know, our lives were blessed by having them in our family, and we do celebrate their birthday. You have a cake? How do you? We do. <laughs> yeah, we will have cake, and we will sing them happy birthday in heaven, and, and you know, I, we don't care what other people think. It's just part of our celebration of their lives, and, and we're happy that they we were blessed by them. Oh yes, I think it's um, it's a wonderful thing, uh, and, you know. And, and families sometimes think that it becomes taboo to talk about these children. Oh, and, my goodness! And uh, music to our ears, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it name. is. And we love to hear the name. We love to hear a friend say, even after uh, all these years, I love to have a friend say, "Oh, I was thinking about Scott the other day. I saw somebody." You know, and oh, it's just I love that. a fun thing. Yeah, it is very much so. And, you know, even a few years after um, Stephen and Steve died, I wrote a letter to our family and friends and thanked them for all of the support that they had given us through the years and told them that it was a difficult journey for all of us, including them. And I asked them at the time if they would be um, so kind to share a Steph or Steve story with us. And we've got such wonderful, wonderful stories that that they wrote their stories down. They took time to share these wonderful moments that they had shared with Stephanie and Stephen. And they are just, you know, such treasures to us today to have those those gifts that our friends gave us. Oh, that's really fantastic. Now, I wanted to ask you, um, they say that there's a high divorce rate. You know, that's the, the word out there. In fact, I just... I uh, was talking to somebody the other day who was whose uh, niece committed suicide, and um, she said that there was such a high divorce rate. Um, and uh, do you think that's true? And uh, how did you and your husband make it through? Well, first off, the high divorce rate is not true. Um, and let me get into that um, in a, in a second. But the fact that many brief or many people believe and articulate to brief parents that there's a high divorce rate among the group actually hurts me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, as a professional, it's interesting, too, as I've been a therapist for 22 years, and I've never believed that. I've never, I have not seen any research. But I hear other therapists tell people that. Yeah, absolutely. That they're at risk. And as I said, that Stephanie was airlifted to another hospital. I was admitted to one hospital, and Wayne accompanied her, obviously, to the other hospital um, where she died. And... After her death, the hospital gave him a book, 
um, that was written as a helpful guideline for, for families after the unthinkable happens. And in the book, it gave suggestions for funeral arrangements and who should be notified of the death and other helpful information about the death. And one section of the book talked about the high divorce rate among bereaved parents. And when I read that section, I thought, oh, my God, first my son dies, then my daughter, and now I'm going to lose my marriage. Right, yeah, and, and all I, you needed. Yeah, absolutely, and my whole world was falling apart. And and I just want to jump in here and say those statistics are absolutely wrong. I don't even think there are any. Right. Several years ago, in fact, the Compassionate Friends organ- Organization commissioned a survey to gain insight on the true scope of the organization's mission. Included in the survey was a series of questions regarding marital status. And the survey determined at that time that 72% of people who were married at the time of their child's death were still married to the same person. Mm-hmm. The remaining 28% of marriage included 16% of which one spouse had died. Mm-hmm. So only 12% of, of marriages ended in divorce, which is far, far below the national average for non-bereaved, quote-unquote, normal couples. Mm-hmm. Well, my husband and I have been married for 45 years, and there certainly are some stressors when you have a child by. Absolutely. Um, because one of the things that happens or happened to me is, and my husband, is that when you're up, they may be down, and you work so hard to get yourself together for the day, and then your partner is not on that day. And Absolutely. so that's very stressful. Is that what you found? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in the early days of my grief, I looked towards my husband to fix what had happened. I wasn't sure how he was supposed to do that, but I wanted him to fix it. I, I, I did. I wanted Wayne to fix it. I wasn't sure how he was supposed to do that, but I wanted him to fix the situation. Um, he wasn't he, at his job. He was the husband, the protector, the great problem solver. He did a wonderful job handling everything right, at, uh, right after the accident. And I wondered why he was falling down on his, on his job. Um, what I didn't realize at the time was that he was feeling the same way. Mm-hmm. He was asking himself the same sort of questions. How could he right this terrible wrong that had happened to us? And... Um, as we worked our way towards the realization, we we realized that we were living in a situation that could not be fixed, mm-hmm. and and we needed to deal deal with the reality of the situation in order to deal uh, to get to an understanding of who we were then um, after their death um, yes. as individuals and as a couple. So I I do remember one day looking at Wayne pleading with him for some answers, and he said to me, it's hard to throw you a lifeline when I'm drowning myself. Ah, what an incredible comment. Yeah, and those words became a turning point for me. You know, grief is really a selfish emotion. You think about yourself and your own grief, and you forget about your partner sometimes. Yeah, it's such a survival situation. Absolutely. No question about it. The lifesaver thing is so apropos. Absolutely, and and suddenly I realized he's hurting too, mm-hmm. and that he needed time and space and understanding just as I did. So as we went on, um, 
we we realized we needed time together. We also needed time apart. We needed time to grieve and to grow as a couple. And as we traveled through our journey, the most important lesson that that I can can say that we learned can be summed up by that wonderful seven-letter word, which is respect. Respect mm-hmm. for the differences in our grief, the pain we were, we were each going through, and the, the love we still have for one another. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, and very realizing important. that people grieve differently. Absolutely. No and question Some people are more open about it. Some are more quiet, more private. I needed chatter. I needed to talk, talk, talk about it. And Wayne was very quiet. He mm-hmm. needed to think things through. Right. And it's so difficult sometimes for men, too, because women tend to have a support system where they do talk more. And um, it's a wonderful thing when a man calls another man and says, I've lost a child, too. Absolutely. And they can talk, you know, as men to men. Yeah. Uh, let's take a call from Phil from Pleasanton, mm-hmm. and then um, I would like, uh, as we go on, to talk about the Compassionate Friends and how you and Wayne got involved in that, because it's such a wonderful organization, I believe, for men and women, but for men particularly, because it's an opportunity to be with other men mm-hmm. who are grieving a loss. Okay, could we have uh, Phil from Pleasanton? Uh, Dr. Horsley, uh, Ms. Loader, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Phil. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for calling. Okay. Um, I have not lost a child, but I, I, over the years I've had three co-workers who have uh, lost children. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, how do I proceed? I, I, I would find that um, I would see my, my fellow worker in the workplace and uh, want to ask how he's doing, and I would, I would do that. However, what would happen is the coworker would be pretty much inundated with 30 or 40 people. You start every day with everybody asking him how he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, that transitions from concern into an, an intrusion. Do you have any guidelines or any, any perspective for us or for me that when, I, when, I, when I'm working with someone, and this is a person that these, are, these people I, I was not friendly with outside of the workplace, Mm-hmm. But in the workplace, how uh, how do you recommend that? It's, it's very interesting. Uh, when my son was killed, I was a psychiatric nursing consultant at the University of Rochester, and I taught on the faculty. And I uh, was co-workers with many psychiatrists and mental health workers, and they wanted to pull me in my office and do a mental health assessment and interview me. And I finally had to say, you know what, I grieve on my own time. But I, I hear what you're saying because when people come up to you and say, how are you doing, you want to say, I'm doing like crap. Yeah. You know, I'm doing awful. But, of course, you're not going to say that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in my mind, the question, how are you doing, would, would for me be better, better put, um, uh, I hope you're having a good day, uh, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that, rather yeah. than how are you doing, because you know, you're doing lousy. But you do appreciate any comment. What's your thought on it, Pat? I think that it's really important to tell a grieving person that um, you understand their pain, you understand where they're at, and and to let them know, I'm here for you. You can even say to that person, I understand that you're being inundated with a lot of questions, a lot of comments, and I want you to know that I understand this, and I understand you're hurting, and if you need to talk, I'm here for you. 
just allowing that to make sure that they know that you're just not ignoring them. So often we hear from people in a work environment that they're, they're just ignored. They're, the pain that they're experiencing is just ignored, you know, by their coworkers. And let's face it, when, when we're newly bereaved especially, it is very difficult for us to concentrate. And it's difficult in the work environment. And we need to be very, very understanding with people in the work environment and let them know that we understand they're going to make some mistakes and they're going to cry sometimes. And it's okay because they are sad. And, you know, um, it, I, I think you're doing the right thing, Phil. Um, yeah. Just I, being there for people. And even that you're bringing up the, the point that you understand and the things that you're thinking are maybe some of the things that you might want to say to them, you know, that um, it, it's hard to know, you know, what to do in the you know, um, I haven't lost a child, but, you know, all the things you're saying are wonderful. But I think one of the things also people need in the work environment, and if, if you happen to be supervising them, is they need to be told that it's okay if they get up and leave a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, they really need to be able, kids need to be able to leave classrooms. People need to be able to leave because nobody wants to break down in a meeting. Exactly. Yeah. So I commend yeah. you for being so so concerned about your fellow um, workers that you would want to call and um, and ask that question. Your well, this is three different coworkers over a period of time. Now, this is this is you know wonderful people, really difficult situation, and they, and they 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 the kind of people that did a great job and wanted to continue doing a great job, mm-hmm. and that was only going to happen if everybody got behind them. Absolutely. Right. They would do that, but I really like the idea of wishing them well as opposed to making an inquiry that requires energy back. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. because it, all of a sudden they're in their mind, how do I feel? I feel horrible. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that, that Gloria would be the big right. They feel like crap, and that's, that's just the way it is. Um, they're dealing with it on a, on a day-to-day basis, and but they're doing the very best they can. They've showed up for work, and they're trying their best. Yeah. So. We, we need to acknowledge that. Also, Phil, uh, one of the things um, that people need to know is don't be afraid to ask people about their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, one of the ways that we bring it into consciousness and we work with it is to tell their story. And, you know, ha- it, having people ask, how did your child die? Yeah. You know, and, and slowing the story down, you know, having coffee with them and letting them tell their story is a good thing because they need to be able to do that in the proper place. And uh, and it's wonderful if, if they feel like workers allow them to do that. They also, given um, leaving meetings, but uh, they also need the slack to be a little late for work and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for answering my question. You know, there's a real need for this show, and I, I appreciate the effort that you're making. Thank you. Oh, thank you for calling in. Okay. Thank appreciate you. that. Well, Pat, um, I wanted to uh, get in a little bit with you about the Compassionate Friends because um, we were talking about the fact that uh, this is a place where people can come together with other bereaved parents. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the Compassionate Friends um, organization? Sure, I'd be happy to. I want to thank you for being on the show and uh, and have you help me introduce next, next, week, next week's guest, Harriet Schiff 
because I think this leads us into the compassionate friends. Uh, Harriet's the author of The Brief Parent Living Through Mourning, mm-hmm. and your husband, Wayne, was very instrumental in helping me get Mrs. Schiff on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that Mrs. Schiff was not only your neighbor, but also part of the growth of the Compassionate Friends in the United States. Could you tell us something about how the organization started, and then we'll take the call from Vera Bell from Utah. Okay. Um, our organization actually started in England when a um, young hospital chaplain saw that two grieving parents could really help each other on their grief journey more than he could possibly help them. Um, a story was written in Time magazine, and that story was read by someone in the United States. And so the, the organization spread to the United States um, around 1969, 1970. Um, in 1977, Harriet Schiff was a, gu- a guest on the Phil Donahue show. And at that mm-hmm. time, she was the first... Re- author that had written a book about bereaved parents. Yeah, was, The Bereaved Parent. It was a book that I was given, which yeah. was uh, very instrumental and, and very helpful for us. Absolutely, and it's 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 still very I think helpful. she told me it's in her, its seventh printing. I said, how many of you sold? And she said, I don't know, but it, I think it's in its seventh printing, yes. which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, she became a guest on the Phil Donahue show, and the show was such a powerful show they took a break and asked the studio audience if they would film another show. So they filmed mm. back-to-back shows with Harriet on on the show both days and talking about bereavement issues with you know of bereaved right. parents. And it was really a springboard for the organization to take off at that time. The calls started coming in from all over the country. How do we how do we start a chapter? What do we do, et cetera, et cetera? And you're so now 600 chapters, and we have nearly 600 chapters in the United States alone, and TCF has a presence in 29 countries around the world. We are the largest uh, self-help bereavement organization in the world. Yeah. Amazing. Well, let's take our call from Vera Bell, and then maybe we'll be able to get back to uh, talking a little bit about uh, how it would be to go to a group. Okay. Vera Bell from Utah. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. Hello, Vera Bell. Welcome oh. to the uh, Healing the Grieving Heart and uh, with Pat Loader and myself, uh, Dr. Gloria. Do you have a question for either of us or a comment? Well, I was noticing two things that you commented about. I've enjoyed your show very much. Thank you very much for sharing this. Thank the you. Subject. I, um, I, the, the humor and what I had the biggest problem with was anger. And it was my husband's anger. My son was driving the car where he and his cousin were both killed. Mm. And his anger was so raging at my son that I could hardly be in the same room with him. And uh, the anger <laughs> at the uh, carelessness and the inability in of you <laughs> to, uh, and me to deal with that through the anger of everyone was uh, phenomenal. And uh, 20 years later, I still see my face going hot when I realize that, that level of anger. Wow. Mm. Yeah. That's really Does your tough. husband still have that type of anger? Uh, you know, we were divorced. I'm afraid we were part of the 12%. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but you uh, do we, see we him. Were, do you, do uh, I can say I can blame it on that, however. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the anger issue is a very big one. And uh, I wondered if you had any help for people dealing with the anger of the of people of the kids who died. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, the Compassionate Friends organization and going to group, uh, if you can get uh, someone like that to go to a group with other bereaved parents where they can express it openly and not have it going on in a one-to-one situation, you know, with the husband and wife, it sounds like you um, took a lot of the brunt uh of uh, dealing with his anger. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a comment on that, Pat, or thought? Well, obviously, um, anger is a big part of the grieving process for anybody. Uh, You know, I used to say uh, I felt sorry for telemarketers who called me because, you know, that happened to be a a handy group for me to to, um, take off on. But, you know, one thing that we did in a chapter meeting that was very powerful and very, very healing is that to write a letter. Now, this may be something that, that your your husband may not want to try or your ex-husband, I might say, but to write a, lang- a, a letter to your son in which he expresses all of that anger. He pours it out on a piece of paper. And then wait a few minutes and write a letter back as if you were the son, answering the concerns in that letter. And you will find that the son will say things like, Dad, I never meant for this to happen. Yes, I was driving, but it was not something I ever meant for it to happen. We did this at a TCF meeting. It was one of the most powerful meetings that we had ever had um, because people had these little bottled up emotions, whether it was anger or they didn't get to say goodbye or whatever the case may be. There there may have been some unresolved issues with, between them and their child. And they sat down and they wrote these letters. And then I told them as an F, you know, didn't tell them ahead of time that I wanted them to answer the letter as if they were their child answering the letter. And it was a very, very powerful learning experience for them. I, well, I, I appreciate that. I, I think that it would probably help a lot of people. And uh, next time I see him, I'll give him that, <laughs> that piece of advice. Okay. Also, I, I, I'd like to comment on the humor part. My brother came to the funeral from far away, and uh, after the funeral, he was telling all these teenage kids dirty jokes, which upset everybody except me because it was the first first time I'd stopped crying for uh, weeks. So I thought, um, I thought that I don't forget humor. Is I, what you said about humor the first time you get to laugh. It was uh, it was a great gift. Verbal, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to uh, thinking. Um, it sounds like you might still have a little bit of angst about uh, maybe anger with him or maybe with your son or I don't know what all the anger is, but I love the idea of the letter and I was thinking maybe you would want to write a letter to uh, your husband, your ex-husband or even to your son and um, and then have them respond to it. You know, you wouldn't even have to talk to them and look at your own feelings about it. I love the letter idea. It's a lovely, a lovely Oh, thought. that is a great idea. We'll appreciate that and I'll do it. I'll check back with you next show. Good. Hey, well, thanks so much for calling in. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with uh, all your issues, and we're very sorry to hear about the death of your son. Well, thank you for your profound thoughts. 
Thank Bye. you. Um, Pat, maybe we could go on for a minute and talk a little bit more about TCF. How, what would a meeting be like for me if I wanted to go? Do I have oh, to talk? What would no, it be? No, you don't have to talk. Um, what we like to say, no one has to talk, but we're all obliged to listen. Because in listening, you learn so much. I remember, and, I, and people laugh at me now since I'm now the executive director of this organization, but at first I did not want to go to a TCF meeting and pour my heart out among tr- total strangers. So I would sit there and say nothing. But when I listened and I heard people talk about the videotape that never went off in their head, I realized that I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only person who had a videotape that never stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And in reaching an understanding with another person on that same level that I was walking, they were walking alongside of me, helped me so much in my grief that I can't even express it. I truly think going to meetings, being able to share, saved my life. And I hear that a lot from from bereaved parents who attend TCF meetings. It saved their lives because they were able to share their grief and their innermost feelings when a lot of other people were going, oh, you're dwelling on that. Pat, again, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You're such a wonderful person, and I look forward to seeing you soon at the National Conference. All right. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.